This is Robert Picardo, the holographic doctor from Star Trek Voyager, saying hello to all the listeners of Treks in Sci-Fi. Hello and welcome to Treks in Sci-Fi, podcast episode number 292 for August the 15th, 2010. I want to thank Mina, who sent in that clip of Robert Picardo that I started the show off with. Uh, she was out uh, along with some other Treks in Sci-Fi listeners at the Las Vegas Star Trek convention. That's pretty much an annual event every August for quite a while now. Uh, and uh, we've got a nice report here from Rick Pete coming up, who was at the con and has some uh, really cool things to say, and I, I know you're going to enjoy that. The main uh, topic, or the main episode uh, of Trek that we're going to be looking at this week is from the original series, which of course is my favorite, and it is er, an early episode called What Are Little Girls Made Of? And I think I slurred that a bit. Let's try that again. What Are Little Girls Made Of? That's hard to say early on a Sunday morning in a way. Kind of one of the longer titles of TOS, but uh, it's an interesting episode and one uh, that I haven't covered yet from the first season. I've I've covered quite a, you know, a number of them, but uh, this one has slipped through, so we're going to do that today. Uh, it's just going to be a clip show because we've got other things to deal with and talk about. Uh, and what I wanted to start off with music-wise here is Mina also sent in a very interesting bit of music. It's from the convention. It's uh, basically Michael Giacano, I think that's how you say his name, who did the Star Trek score for the movie last year. It's something called the Star Trek Suite, which kind of blends together some of the music from the film. I think it's maybe two to three minutes long. The audio is not the greatest quality. I'll try to tune it up a little bit and tweak it but uh it's it's really cool to hear what they did with this and and how they put together some of the different bits from the movie into a into a one piece uh, kind of like they've done with star wars over the years and other things you know where they'll take uh certain tracks and blend them together anyway you'll you'll hear it in a second here uh, as we start uh, the podcast today here on treks in sci-fi Thank you. 
Well, I hope you enjoyed that uh, bit of music. Thanks again, Mina, for doing that. Uh, it, it's, um, uh, like I said, very cool to hear, uh, and it just... I've said this before, the the soundtrack to that movie has just slowly really grown on me, and, and it gives me still kind of goosebumps and tingles when I hear it, and I, I, I greatly enjoy the, the take on Trek that uh, Michael did for that, and I'm looking forward to hopefully uh, they will use him again. I, I would really would be shocked and surprised if they don't in the next film. Uh, I know he and J.J. Abrams uh, work together quite a bit, and I think that will uh, be awesome. It will be great to hear that theme, you know, and the tunes and, and the tunes, the <laughs> sort of the thematic cues and stuff that he used in the first score uh, for the this um, movie by J.J. into the next movie, which is still, unfortunately, two years away. Gosh, these guys really need to get cooking on this script. You know, they're it's still uh, in the early stages. The, the latest rumor... And let's just, we'll get into that, I guess, a little bit. It's not really, not really a lot of news, but I'm hearing little bits of talk about the Old West uh, entering into this somehow, a la Firefly to some degree. And, of course, the West got used in Trek a few times throughout the series. Fistful of Datas, uh, the Spectre of the Gun from the original series. I'm sure there are others uh, that I'm missing, uh, you know, that aren't coming to mind right now, but those are the two that stand out for me uh, when I think about it. I think there was a Voyager one, too, wasn't there? Anyway, uh, but they're still working on this story. You know, there's still the idea of maybe, who knows, Khan will be in it. Uh, I don't know. Anyway, that's the that's the Trek movie talk, I guess, for this week's edition of the show. Uh, I wanted to also pass on some other news before we get into the more details of the podcast and the Star Trek episode and Rick Pete's report. Uh, recently... I guess last week or so, I had a couple of interviews back home, uh, kind of almost back-to-back uh, for some jobs back in Michigan, and I thought I would pass that on. And I'm trying to get all the psychic energy of the Treks and Sci-Fi listeners going, I, I would say I don't want to give a lot of details because it doesn't really matter that much probably to you guys, maybe. Well, maybe it does in a way, but I'm not going to say company names or any of that kind of stuff. But there are a, a couple of very, very large companies in Michigan, really, uh, I think uh, I have a fair shot at one of the jobs. I'm, I'm not so sure about the other. Uh, we'll see how it goes. Uh, one of the interesting, weird things that happened, though, is at one of the interviews, I ran into a guy I used to work with um, two jobs, I guess, back or so now uh, when I basically learned all about paint and coatings at BASF when I was there. And we were both interviewing for that same job, which... Uh, I was a little awkward in a way, but we were pretty good buddies, and uh, he's a, he's a nice guy. So I, I you know, it wasn't like I was going to try to lock him in a closet. Oh, I did think about that though. <laughs> hey, hey, you know, why don't you go over in the bathroom there for a second? Oh, I don't know. Is there? Why is there a door jammed under the? I, where where? Hey, where'd such and such go? I have no idea. I don't know. But I am I next for the interview? <laughs> oh, I'd never do that. Rico's too too good. You know, I I well yeah. <laughs> anyway, please send out to, you know, it was about a week ago. I haven't heard anything back. Uh, uh, one other little tidbit is the other job, not the one where I ran into my old uh, friend from BASF, but the other position that I interviewed for, I actually know someone who works at that company who I used to work with. Also, we actually traveled a few times together, and he was a pretty good guy, and, I, and I'm hoping he can maybe put a good word in for me at that place. So lots of things going on. I'm still 
trying to get back home. Uh, still going okay here. This job actually last week was very difficult. And here's all Rico's personal take. Everyone's fast forwarding through their iPods right now, right? Because they don't like about. <laughs> but there, I had to work uh, afternoon shifts for most of last week because of a big um, batch of, of paint, basically, that we had to get out. And uh, it was a little tiring. I, I, for some reason, my internal clock is set for like five, six o'clock in the morning. And if I work late and stay up later, I still wake up then. And and this, for some reason lately, I've really had a hard time, even on a short amount of sleep, of going back to sleep, falling back asleep. Uh, so that's that. But uh, I got through it. Next week's back to normal times. I had a normal day, actually, on Friday, uh, which was kind of nice to get back in the groove. I'm still a little bit, eh, not 100%, and not quite back to my normal schedule. So, But uh, that's... Uh, that's about it, really, that I wanted to pass on before I think I'm going to play Rick Pete's report here in a moment or two. I, I haven't seen a, a lot of movies lately. I've uh, been a little behind on it. I actually watched this movie called Green Zone the other day, which was okay, not sci-fi at all with Matt Damon. Uh, I do want to go see, I'm going to go see sometime this week, that Scott Pilgrim, uh, what is it called, Scott Pilgrim saves the world, conquers the world, something like that. The one where he has to fight the the girlfriend that he has, all of her her evil exes, her seven evil exes. It just looks like a lot of fun. And of course, that movie, The Expendables, came out. Sylvester Stallone and all the action stars. I'm kind of tempted by it. To, you know, if I'm kind of bored one day after work or something, maybe I'll go see it. But that one, I could easily wait for video, uh, DVD or something. Oh, the uh, on that note, uh, passing on, if, if you guys haven't heard this, whoever's listening, uh, one of the big bits of news uh, over this weekend, Star Wars Celebration 5 is going on uh, down in Orlando, Florida this current weekend. God, there's a lot of conventions uh, this this month. And, uh, you know, started with Comic-Con at the end of July, and now it's really going. But the big announcement, Star Wars-wise, is that George Lucas has officially announced that the movies, all six movies, are coming out on Blu-ray in 2011. I don't believe they gave any specific date out. Uh, I would expect, though, it won't be probably, it'll be probably towards the mid or fall part of 2011. Probably almost a year from now, I would think. Uh, that's just a guess, but they are coming out on Blu-ray 2011, and the other bit of fan geeky cool news is that he's going to include deleted scenes. There are a lot of, well, I wouldn't say a lot, but even from the original trilogy, there are clips and things that have really not seen the light of day except in, you know, really obscure places online. You might be able to see little bits, nothing of any good quality in, of these scenes. There's a few things you know, Return of the Jedi has a few things. One is Luke's building his new lightsaber near the beginning. Uh, if you go to YouTube, uh, that's the clip, part of the clip they showed uh, at the convention at uh, Celebration, and you can find that. Uh, I think I have it on my favorite video list. If you go to the main Trex and Sci-Fi page, you'll be able to see it if you go soon. Uh, and there's a lot of other little scenes. There's there's uh, actually a scene in the A New Hope, the first Star Wars movie, where Luke goes into Tashi Station, has a scene with Biggs and, and talking about things there. Uh, a couple other things, a sandstorm scene near the beginning of Jedi, and and just lots of cool stuff. I'm not really all that up on deleted scenes from the pre prequel films, but uh, I'm sure we'll be seeing that. And these, I'm not also sure if these are going to be edited into the movie. I don't believe that'll probably be the case. 
I doubt that will be the case. We'll probably just be able to see the deleted scenes as a separate thing. So uh, lots of stuff going on there. I'm sure if you go to StarWars.com, they'll have lots of information about that. So cool news. Uh, George Lucas gets more of our money uh, every year. So... (laughs) But I think he donates a lot to charity, so I don't feel so bad about that. But All right, next up, uh, let's get into Rick Pete's report. This is about 20 minutes long. I don't really want to edit it or cut it, uh, but I think it, it's worth listening to. Uh, Rick's report back from uh, the convention in Vegas last weekend, the big Star Trek Vegas con. And here is Rick Pete, and I will be back after that with our Star Trek TOS episode uh, commentary and look. Hi, Rico. This is uh, Rick Pete. RP'd in the forums, and uh, I thought I would send you a little recording with some of my uh, reflections on the recent uh, Star Trek uh, convention at Las Vegas. I had the uh, fortunate opportunity to go there with my wife and my 12-year-old son, Ryan, who admittedly is more of a Star Wars fan than a Trek fan, but he was just happy to go to any convention. So um, we went there, and we had a fantastic time. Um, this is the first time I've been to a Trek convention of any magnitude, probably for the last 20 years, um, other than going to like Chicago Comic-Cons and stuff like that. But a Trek-only convention um, is, uh, is a new experience for me. Uh, the last one I was in was probably in the 70s back in, uh, in Los Angeles. But it was great. Uh, I had a really good time. Uh, we got there on Wednesday, and uh, the con didn't start till Thursday, but Wednesday night we kind of started off at the Space Quest bar in the Hilton, where the convention was being held. Um, this was the bar that served really as the entrance point to the old Star Trek The Experience um, ride and bar and, well, and experience that they had in recently closed a few years ago. So we went there, and there was there were Klingons, and there were folks from TrekMovie.com and TrekCast, and you know a lot of good conversation. There must have been about over 100 people there um, that Wednesday night talking Trek stuff, and a lot of people were just renewing friendships. So to a certain extent, I, was, I felt a little bit on the outside, but I didn't have too much problems hooking up with Anthony from TrekMovie.com, and you know eventually you know getting to meet some of these people. Um, they, they had, uh, there was Trek movies going constantly 24-7 at that bar. It's a pretty, uh, high-tech looking bar. And, uh, there were Trek slot machines there, and it was, it was, it was a good time. But that sort of got me in the mood for Thursday when the show opened. It opened in the, uh, in the large theater with Walter Koenig giving sort of the opening... Um, talk and welcome, uh, and that was great. Um, each of the panels lasted about 45 minutes, where the first 15 to 20 minutes was the actor, you know, speaking about sort of what they're doing now, some of their you know, reminisce, reminiscences, whatever, um, you know, memories of Star Trek, you know, and uh, and whatever else they wanted to share with the audience. And then usually the vast majority of that time was done in Q and A from members of the audience who walked up to one of the mics and asked questions. So um, so that first day on Thursday, we listened to um, Kate Walter Koenig first, um, followed by 
our friend George Takei, Sulu. And then in that afternoon, um, John Delancey, Q, spoke. And I would think of the three, Sulu and Sulu and Q were the best. Uh, they were very engaging. Uh, George Takei was very engaging, very personable. Um, John Delancey was quite personal and actually invited people to come up to the stage from the mic and talk with him on the stage, you know, ask what their names were and was much more personal. Um, so that was very engaging. I decided to actually live tweet. So for those of you who listened to my or watched my hundreds of live tweeting over the convention, hopefully you found that enjoyable. Uh, for those of you who have not taken that opportunity, of course, it's all there on Twitter. Uh, my Twitter account is at R-P-E-E-T-E, and I encourage you to take a read to some of the thoughts that were expressed. I try to tweet the things that I thought were interesting, um, that they were saying, and sometimes my own thoughts about what they were talking about. Um, Friday was Gene Roddenberry. Um, Eugene, his son, spoke and talked a little about what they're doing and this new movie that they've got, a documentary on Trek called Trek Nation, which is finished finally, and now they're looking for a distributor for hopefully next year. Um, then there was a fan panel led by TrekMovie.com and DVDGeeks.com. That was a very interesting panel. Um, they talked about you know Trek in general. Um, the room was packed. It was at the DeForest Kelly Theater. It was packed. Uh, with fans from all over, and they really engaged the fans in asking what their opinions were. And they talked about quite a bit. Uh, there was a good discussion around the Star Trek movie in 2009, um, whether people thought it was good or bad. They actually had one person, the panel was really four people, Anthony from uh, Trek Movie, uh, a person, I think it was Mary from DVD Geeks, a gentleman named Vernon, who was a staffer from The Experience, and then Larry Mimisek, who is a blogger for StarTrek.com. And it was interesting that Vernon, the gentleman from The Experience, he liked the movie, but in a lot of ways didn't like the movie. Uh, he was very much focused on the whole issue around continuity and changing timelines. He wasn't a big fan of that. So there was a lot of conversation about whether people thought it was a really a parallel universe or a reboot. And there was actually a lot of heated debate about that, even though the writers themselves said it was a parallel alternate universe and not a, and not a wipe of the existing universe. Uh, there was a lot of conversations about divergence. He's from canon, the whole Spock-Uhura relationship, which some people liked it, some people didn't like it. They felt, you know, some people felt that it was a real departure from Spock's character to be involved uh, with Uhura. Um, of course, they, the, the nitpickers who, you know, the, that Delta Vega was in a different location. Um, some people didn't like the fact that Vulcan was destroyed in the first place. Um, some people didn't like the fact that they redefined the, 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 the etymology of the slang term bones for McCoy, because they actually changed that in the movie from what it was in the original series. And then there was a whole conversation around how, did, how does Kirk go from cadet, who hasn't even graduated from Starfleet Academy, to captain in the span of a two-hour movie? Which, of course, hey, it's Kirk. He can do anything. 
Um, they did try to talk about that a little bit, and you know, to try to make some sense to that in terms of Kirk. When Pike made Kirk first officer, it was an immediate field promotion to lieutenant. Then, when he took the helm after Spock stepped out, it became another field promotion to captain, which was then made permanent at Starfleet Command. Um, but they just, you know, Vernon just felt that they did a lot of compromises to the integrity of some of the characters, particularly in the character of Spock. But, you know what? It was all good. The vast majority of people there, and, you know, enjoyed the movie and didn't have any problems with what happened, you know, as part of that movie. Um, what else they talked about? They talked about the sequel. One of the writers was actually supposed to be on call for the sequel, but he couldn't do it at the last minute. So he emailed Anthony a photo of himself, and this is the part I love the best. The writer of the new Star Trek film is writing the film on an iPad. And the iPad, he showed the iPad in his photo and the script that he was writing. And the iPad had an L-Cars um, theme on it. It was actually a pretty cool shot. Um, but it turns out that the actual script is scheduled to be completed by the end of this year. We'll start shooting in May of next year. And it's expected to be, re be released in June of 2012. All the actors... In the in the film have been re-signed for the sequel. Nimoy will not be in the sequel. Um, he is. They asked, they talked with him, and he determined that they didn't feel he didn't feel he was actually needed to um, put forth the franchise now that the the parallel universe has been established, and and, and in his perspective, the handoff has been made complete. Um, whether Kirk's going to be in it or not was neither was not confirmed. Um, other than that, uh, you know, we spent a lot of time looking at costumes. There were Romulans and Vulcans and 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 Dorians and Klingons and, and all kinds of costumes were there. I tried to get some of those, some photos of those, and I wasn't in in all these panels. But it, it, there were, it was a huge number. And a lot of people were in Trek uniforms. And I would say probably it was a 50-50 split between people in TNG uniforms and people in Wrath of Khan uniforms. Um, those were very, very popular, the Trek uniforms from uh, TWOK. Uh, in fact, on, I think it was on Sunday, they had a costume gathering to try to actually make a new Guinness World Book record for the number of people in costumes in one room at the same time. And they broke that record. The record now stands at 543 people in costumes in one location at one time. So needless to say, a lot of people in costumes out there. Uh, let's see, what else was discussed? Um, oh, the vendor hall. The vendor hall was not nearly as big as, uh, even Chicago Comic-Con, certainly not as big as, uh, the San Diego, San Diego Comic-Con, but it was a decent size. There was a lot of vendors there. There are a lot of celebrities who were there that either weren't Trek celebrities or were Trek celebrities who didn't get 
their information into creation, entertainment, and time to, you know, have a formal place. So a lot of those just set up um, tables in the vendor hall. But the vendor hall had tons and tons of stuff there. You know, it was one of the things that was interesting there was uh, Patrick Stewart had his own booth. He didn't man it, but it was his booth. And I, I can't remember what he called it. It was something like the uh, Picard Attic. And he had all kinds of memorabilia that he had collected from Trek over the years that he was selling at the convention. And I don't remember ever seeing that at a Comic-Con, but I thought that was unique. Um, but there are, you know, I, I bought, of course, I had to buy a few T-shirts. I had to buy a really awesome Star Trek jacket that I'll definitely be wearing this fall when it gets a little cooler out here in Chicago. Um, but there was just tons of stuff, tons and tons and tons of stuff. There was even a guy who makes, they look like jack-o'-lanterns, but they're actually plastic, so you can reuse them. And he actually sculpts images into these fake jack-o'-lanterns so that you can put like a little small light or candle or whatever inside of them and then see you know, portraits of Kirk or Spock or Data or whoever, and he'll actually custom make one any way you want. He'll make them with a sculpture of your child's face or whatever. They just had all kinds of stuff there. It was pretty amazing, actually. Pretty amazing. Um, so, you know, that was going on in there. I walked to Vinter Hall mostly Thursday and a little bit on Saturday looking for deals. Um, but there were quite a few people there. Richard Keel was there, the guy who plays Jaws in uh, 007. I got to tell you, that guy, they don't, I don't think they use any makeup on him. He is actually that tall and that huge. The only thing he didn't have was the metal teeth. But everything else about that dude is real. He's a giant. I mean a giant. Um, Richard Hatch from Battlestar Galactica was there. The original Boomer was there. Um, Brent Spiner had a booth there. Um, Sally Kellerman and Gary Lockwood were there. Uh, I also found Margot Rose, who was the woman played um, Eileen in Eileen in uh, Inner Light. She was there, and this was her first convention. She was fabulous. She was about you know she she definitely was ten years older than she was in that in that episode. But she was great, very gracious. She and I had spent some time talking. I got a picture of her um, with me, and uh, she didn't even charge for it. And I did buy an autographed photo that she personally autographed. But she was just fantastic, and I encouraged her to you know come to other conventions because she has no, I don't think she has any clue how significant that particular episode was to so many people. You know, particularly myself, I just thought it was a very touching episode. Uh, meant a lot to me, and I know it meant a lot to a lot of people that I've talked to. So, um, so that was a highlight. One of the highlights for me was actually meeting her. Um, PropWorks had a huge auction, both online and in person. And I don't know how much money they made, but they must have made hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars. I mean, stuff was going. From $200 to $25,000. Um, Robert Picardo brought all 172 Voyager scripts to the auction that were auctioned for twenty-five grand. 
Um, he also brought the chair that he used in sickbay. And that chair went for like 2500 bucks. Uh, I mean, people were just buying stuff left and right. There was a really awesome Riemann costume from Nemesis. It sold for like seven or eight grand. There was a Klingon, a really awesome Klingon costume that sold for about six grand. Stuff was just going like crazy. And they had all kinds of stuff, especially signage from Deep Space Nine, like Quark's Bar and signs from the Promenade. All those things were selling for thousands of dollars. So I didn't win anything from PropWorks. They were a little bit out of my price range. But uh, Creation also ran what they called no minimum bid auctions, where you could bid 10 bucks or something if you wanted. I did win a Spock 6-foot by 4-foot banner of Spock from the original episode. I think it was a, I think it was a shot from a muck time um, after he killed Spock and he was talking to Tepr- to Powell, uh, and he, with with him holding his hands in a Vulcan salute, it was it was awesome. I got it for a song, and because I won it at the auction, I was able to get it autographed by Leonard Nimoy for free at convention. In fact, Mina was there when I was standing in line at the front of the line to uh, meet Leonard to have him sign it. It was it was when it was uh, probably the highlight of the convention was meeting Leonard. Um, talking to him very briefly, but having him sign that banner and bringing that banner back to my hotel room and showing it to my family and as well as um, my sister, my wife's sister and her husband had visited us, visited, visited us that evening and got to show it to them and they were all quite impressed. Um, but they were they were auctioning all kinds of things, including non-Trek stuff. So I got a really cool autographed photo of Denzel Washington and other actor I really enjoy um, quite a bit, as does my wife. So I think she's getting that particular uh, autograph photo. I'm going to hold on to my Spock banner, and I'll be redesigning my wall in my office to figure out where I'm going to hang that bad boy at some point. Um, they had, a, had an auction on Sunday at the end of the convention where they were just auctioning off everything you could think of. Um, there was a German woman who uh, was sitting in front of me and for the whole convention. She got a Star Trek Six. There was it was an autographed photo with all the all seven primary cast members with each of their autographs. The, and that spread thing probably would have gone for three thousand dollars of prop works. They sold it for. She got it for nine hundred bucks. It was a steal. Of course, I didn't have nine hundred bucks, so it was her steal. But nonetheless, they sold all kinds of really cool things. And I know Mina got an autographed poster from all, almost all of the people that were, all the celebrities that were there um, as part of her, actually, she actually worked as an employee of Creation Entertainment and was, we only, I only got to talk to her maybe two or three times during the convention because she was so busy coordinating all the autograph sessions. Um, but she was doing an awesome job, and I guess she got that as a... Um, perk of doing that job. I think she's got that photo up on her Twitter or on her Facebook or somewhere. Very, very cool. Me, I took about 600 pictures of the of the convention itself, probably another 800 pictures of Vegas and of the Grand Canyon tour that my family and I took on Monday after the convention was over. So I'm going to be putting some of those photos up on Facebook and I'll leave a message on the forums when they're finally up after I kind of weed through and Pick the best ones. 
Um, other than that, like I said, check out my tweets. I tweeted Thursday for uh, Walter, George, and John Delancey. On Friday, I tweeted uh, the fan panel and Avery Brooks, who was amazing and engaging and a wonderful jazz pianist and singer. Uh, he shared some of that with us during his talk. Then Saturday, um, the beautiful Jerry Ryan was fan, was fabulous. Uh, Chase Masterson was great. Um, the whole Voyager cast, I think I tweeted them out. And then in the afternoon on Saturday was Nimoy, followed by Shatner, followed by the two of them together. Uh, and then uh, Jonathan Frakes. And then Sunday was Patrick Stewart, Brent Spiner, and then Michael Dorn. And... Uh, Interesting. Michael Dorn is a vegan now. Go figure. How do you figure a Klingon being a vegan? I can't picture that. But anyway, they were all great. Uh, I tweeted most of that, so all my thoughts are pretty much laid down in the tweets. So check that out. And next year, for those of you who might want to come, um, this is the last year they're having it at the Hilton. They're going to be having it next year at the Rio, which I've been told is an amazing place. I didn't go see it, but uh, I heard from people at Trek Movie who went to go see it, as well as a person who was sitting next to me who's been there um, during the during all the panels who said it was just a great place. But they basically outgrown the Hilton. In the Rio was a much newer uh, resort, you know, much better facilities, larger facilities. Don't know if I'm going to be going or not, but uh, it did not disappoint. So if you have a chance to go to the Las Vegas Strike Convention, definitely go. Back to you, Rico. Thanks so much, Rick, for that great report from Vegas. Uh, you know, I know I, I at one point I was really trying hard to get out there and go to it as well. I would have loved to have met you and the other folks, uh, Mina and everyone that was there who are listeners to the podcast, but it didn't work out. But uh it was very cool for you to, uh, you know, feed me. Rick was feeding me photos during last weekend, and I posted some up on the treksinsci-fi.com uh, forums. So if you're not a member, you should be. Check those out there. And it, it's just cool. You know, there's so much nice media, other coverage, you know, from, from people that uh, listen to the podcast. You know, there were things on YouTube uh, and it, it, it's a tricky thing, I know, with pictures and video. Pictures, not so much, I guess, but video. Some uh, places seem to really, they kind of forbid it quite a bit. In other places, allow it. Uh, I'm hoping, I'm actually going to be at, uh, just thought I'd say now, I will be at the Chicago convention, the Comic-Con that they're having in Chicago next Saturday, The I think it's the 21st. Yeah, that'll be the 21st, and if you're going to that in, in Chicago, it's actually in Rosemont, I think, Illinois. It, it's, a, it's a big convention, uh, not just Trek, but a lot of other celebrities and things there. Uh, Linda Hamilton, I know, is going to be there. Uh, Shatner is going to be there. It was going to be Shatner and Patrick Stewart, Sir Patrick, uh, but Patrick Stewart has had to back out, I think. Uh, but anyway, if you happen to be going, uh, shoot me an email, treksf at gmail.com, and let me know. Maybe we can meet up somewhere. I know Rick Pete will be there because he's from this area as well. So it'll be nice uh, to, to meet uh, up with him again. You know, we did that Klingon cast together. He's he's always fun to talk to. Rick, uh, I'm looking forward to be seeing you next uh, uh, weekend at uh, the Chicago Comic Con. So, again, thanks so much for your report. Really interesting stuff. Wish I could have been there, and uh, again, thank you and, and Mina for what you sent in as well. Uh, I'm going to take a very short break here, and then we'll be back with 
this week's episode, uh, What Are Little Girls Made Of? Okay. Hi, this is Grace Lee Whitney. Hi, Trek and Sci-Fi. Nice to meet you. Nice to be here at the convention in Vegas. And we're very grateful that you are such wonderful fans. And we really love you. And please uh, see to it that there are more blondes in the second movie. Thank you very much. Bye. Yeah, it's another nice clip that Mina sent in to me. Uh, that's Grace Lee Whitney, who played Yeoman Rand on the original TOS. On the original TOS. That's a uh, saying the same thing twice, right? On TOS, on the original series. Uh, she is uh, great. I've seen her at a couple times at conventions, and uh, uh, it's always good to hear from her. So thanks for that, Mina. All right, what are little girls made of? Sugar and spice and everything nice, right? <laughs> this episode of TOS is uh, is kind of different, there, and, and for a number of reasons, although I think it has some very typical and, and uh, some Star Trek themes and ideas that are used uh, quite a bit throughout uh, the original series and, and, and even especially into TNG with the, char the android character of Data. Basically this episode uh, was first aired uh, in October of 1966, actually October 20th, 1966. Uh, the remastered version came out uh, almost, let's see, 41 years later, October 2007. This is uh, episode 9, really, of the series. It was written by uh, a pretty famous sci-fi author, Robert Block, uh, directed by James Goldstone. Uh, the basic premise of this episode is uh, the Enterprise is uh, at this planet. Uh, at the beginning, they're orbiting it. Uh, Nurse Chapel is on the bridge, which is a little unusual. And what they're doing is they're searching for this missing scientist named Roger. His name is Roger Corby. And she actually used to be, or he used to be, engaged to Nurse Chapel. So that's why she's on the bridge. They're looking for him. And they do find him on this planet uh, through a series of events. Uh, most of you know this episode, I'm sure. Uh, Kirk beams down along with Nurse Chapel. He doesn't really want a big uh, party of people coming down. Do Dr. Corby says that. And... Uh, Soon Kirk realizes that the, this Dr. Corby is just a little, uh, eh, he's kind of lost it a bit. And, and he has discovered some equipment and machinery down there that allows him to build uh, androids. Uh, very much uh, lifelike and look human. And it really, much like Data was on TNG, uh, easy to fool the average person. So that's the premise. And I'm going to play one of the first clips right now. I understand you gave up a career in bio-research to sign aboard a starship. I know he's alive down there, Captain. Ask Canada Bridge, Dance Report Dreams, Engineering Control. It's been five years since his last message. Roger's a very determined man. He'd find a way to live. Beginning signals to surface, sir. Put it on all frequencies, Lieutenant. Ship's record banks show little we don't already know about this planet, Captain. Gravity is 1.1 of Earth, atmosphere within safety limits. But the surface temperature of that planet is 100 degrees below zero. It may have been inhabited once, but the sun in this system has been fading steadily for a half million years. Now, Dr. Corby, often called the Pasteur of archaeological medicine, his translation of medical records from the Orion ruins 
revolutionized our immunization techniques. Required reading at the academy, Mr. Spock. I've always wanted to meet him. Do you think there's any chance of him still being alive? Yeah, so that sets the stage for things uh, in this episode. The, the um, it, it's it's a little different of an opening, I think, and and I like that for uh, this early episode of TOS. Uh, the and as you'll see as the episode goes on, this is also streaming. I've got it on the uh, forum if you want to watch it. Uh, you can also see it, I believe, CBS.com and a lot of other places. Watch Trek. Check that. Check that place out. I think it's still that. It is the URL. Try it. Call. Uh, I think it's called WatchTrek.com. Uh, that will be a fun one for you to check out. So this episode uh, is different in the fact that we get to see a lot of Nurse Chapel, uh, played by Majel Barrett, uh, who eventually goes on, of course, to marry Gene Roddenberry, plays Loxana Troy uh, throughout TNG and Deep Space Nine, the voice of the Enterprise uh, throughout the movies, and uh, it, it's it's really a, a nice showcase for her. Nurse Chapel just for the most part, does not get a lot to do in almost, you know, just about all of TOS, really. A couple of other episodes you'll see her a bit in, Naked Time especially, and, you know, her longing and, and love for Mr. Spock, uh, Amok Time, and, and others. But th- this, you really get to see her uh, shine. And for those of you who may not remember or know, uh, she was uh, somebody that was really early cast in Trek, even before uh, many of the other uh, actors that we see and know from the original series, because she ended up or was in the first pilot with Jeffrey Hunter as Captain Pike. She played number one, basically his uh, you know, first officer in that episode. They put, uh, Gene put a, a woman second in command of the Enterprise, and she has dark hair in, in that. I think she naturally was a brunette. Uh, but anyway... She has a very prominent role in that first pilot. And, you know, Gene, very, very future, always thinking and, and putting a woman, you know, just think 40 years ago. Gosh, it's only been that short of a span of time where back in those days, you know, women were thought of, you know, stay home, you know, cook clean, take care of the kids, and, and, and then let man, you know, let men go out and do the real work. I mean, even so much as even the episode Turnabout Intruder where, we we learn in the future, which I don't know how this really got got uh, happened because Gene was so you know thinking about women and all that and their place in in Trek, you know he said in that episode that women couldn't be starship captains, which was kind of ridiculous when you think about it, uh, especially since he was at one point trying to put a woman second in command, uh, but the network didn't like that, so he recast uh, Majel as Nurse Chapel throughout the rest of you know the original series and she shows up in the movies and some in Loxana of course and but anyway so it gives you some background on that and it's really nice to see her in in a more prominent role here she has some good scenes uh, and it's it's interesting she has a romantic history with Roger Corby the scientist and uh, you'll hear a little bit more about that in this uh, next clip if you've ever been engaged Mr. Spock Yes, it's Roger. Agreed, Doctor. However, there will be two of us. Hello, Roger. Christine. Yes, Roger. Darling, where are you? Yes, yes, by all means, Captain. I had no idea, no hope. Darling, are you all right? Yes, Roger. Everything is all right now. We're on our way, Doctor. We'll be with you in a moment. 
Enterprise out. Yeah, so, you know, Kirk and Nurse Chapel beam down. Uh, they run into some, uh, you know, a few issues. Uh, that, uh, Dr. Corby's not there right away, and uh, then he, uh, Kirk, calls up uh, to the Enterprise and has a couple security guards come down. They end up dying uh, through sort of some strange circumstances. And then eventually Kirk and Nurse Chapel make their way uh, down to the labs, an area where... They find Dr. Corby uh, has, has somehow survived on this very inhospitable planet that has, you know, temperatures like 100 below uh, and, and very frigid and very cold. But they find him all safe and snug uh, down here. And he's got a uh, lovely uh, assistant named Andrea, who uh, <laughs> I, I really, one of the things I like about this episode, and it's not really one of my favorites of, of TOS by any means, probably why it's been so long since I've gotten around to covering it. This was frankly one, if it was airing on, on the air when Trek was heavy in syndication and I'd watch just about every time it was on. If this one was on, I could kind of take it or leave it. Uh, I think there's still some cool points about it, and I've come to maybe appreciate it a little bit more than when I was younger uh, for some of the ideas it's putting across. But uh, but one thing that's kind of cool about it is there's this uh, very attractive uh, lab assistant named Andrea that Dr. Corby has. So listen to uh, the next clip. I'm Andrea. You must be Christine. I've always thought how beautiful your name is. And you must be Captain Kirk of the Starship Enterprise. We appreciate you bringing Roger's fiancé to him. I don't remember Dr. Corby mentioning an Andrea. But you are exactly as Roger described you. No wonder he missed you so. Where is Dr. Corby? Here, Captain. Hey, uh, I've been looking forward to... apologize, sir, and certainly no need to introduce yourself. The captain lost a man in the caverns, Doctor. What? How did it happen? A pit near the outer junction. The edge must have given way. I'm terribly sorry, Captain. Perhaps if I'd been there, I, I know the passages so well. It wasn't your fault. Kirk to Rayborn, report. I'm required to make a security confirmation. When I call my ship, if you list your personnel, cargo requirements, any special needs. Captain, I'd much prefer... Rayburn, are you receiving I'd me? I prefer you waited, Captain. Please, until I've talked to you. I've lost contact with my guard. I'm required to call my ship. No communications, Captain. Roger. I'm sorry. Yeah, so that was Andrea, the uh, soon-to-be-revealed android uh, assistant for Dr. Corby. 
you also meet Brown there, hear him a little bit. Uh, his uh, that actor's name is I think it's Harry Bosch, Bash, Bosch, probably Bosch, Harry Bosch. Um, we were just having a recent uh, little discussion on the forum about pronunciation of names and things, and I try. I know I mess them up a lot, so I apologize. But uh, he plays Brown. And, uh, you know, I love uh, Andrea's outfit. Uh, there's a little story there. I guess that outfit got uh, replicated and worn at some early conventions way back, you know, science fiction conventions in the 60s. And there's a story that uh, uh, sci-fi author Harlan Ellison was, was uh, hitting on someone, a model or something, wearing a costume like that and ask her out on a date or something. Harlan has a pretty colorful past and he was definitely a bit of a womanizer and uh, in his younger days and I've heard that uh, quite a bit and I don't think it's anything he'd deny I think he he you know he just Harlan kind of loves life and I, I have to kind of uh, hand it to him for that and but anyway and the the other story which I figure since I'm talking a little bit about Andrea here Sherry Jackson uh, is that I think that's the actress's name is that right that I I think I want to make sure again yeah Sherry Jackson um Who's really great in this episode? You know, I, I I really like what she does. I love her voice too, but uh, and her outfit, you know. <laughs> but the the story goes: there's a scene where she has to kick, kiss, excuse me, kick. Well, she kind of does that almost, but she has to kiss Kirk. I think at least once, maybe. Well, definitely once. Maybe was it twice? I believe, or tries to a second time. Anyway, the the story goes, and, and Sherry has has said this, and I don't think it's been denied at all. But it was uh, in the script; it was supposed to be just kind of a quick, you know, soft little nice kiss. But I, but I guess William Shatner, and the reason this comes up to my mind right now, you know, he had a bit of a reputation too, not just Kirk in a way in those those days, I think. And, and he kisses her pretty darn hard. There's a scene in some bloopers and some outtakes where after he kisses her, there's quite a bit of actually blooper uh, clips from this episode in particular running through those caves and all that. But anyway, Shatner kisses her so hard that he ends up with a bunch of her lipstick on his face and mouth and everything like that. And and she says, it, you know, he, he, he just went for it. So, <laughs> ah, the Shat. Uh, he still got it even. But uh, anyway, so... That's a little little side story there about uh, what our little girls made of in Sherry Jackson's encounter with our good uh, Captain Kirk and William Shatner. Let's play a, another clip. Ruck was programmed to protect my experiments. The logic of his machine mind saw a danger to me. Where is my other crewman? Ruck destroyed them both. But totally against my wishes, I assure you. He's an android, like Brown? More complex than Brown. Much superior. I was left here by the old ones. Ruck was still tending the machinery when we arrived here. How many centuries? Even Ruck doesn't know. With his help, with the records I could find, we built Brown. You've convinced me, Doctor. You've convinced me that you're dangerous. Rock, no! So 
So in that one, we learn some more about Rock, who is played by Ted Cassidy. And I, I, one story here is that the, the costumers, that when they came in to, to work on uh, Rock's, uh, Ted Cassidy's costume to play the character, that the guy was uh, very scared of him. He's a, he's a big guy. I think he was over seven foot when he was alive still, and a uh, very, very big guy. He played, of course, probably his more, most famous role was uh, he was Lurch on The Addams Family. I did a lot of other movies and TV uh, as well. You know, when they needed somebody who was a big guy, they you know they called on him or a couple other actors. He was also, I think, Bigfoot in some of the Six Million Dollar Man, Bionic Woman episodes uh, here and there. They had a few different people that played him. So, uh, but uh, he he does a really cool job. I like it, and they give him some stuff to do in this episode more than just look tough and pick up uh, William Shatner. And he's really picking up Shatner in these in these scenes. See, this guy um, not only was uh, Ted Cassidy a big guy, but he was really strong too. I mean, Shatner, I'd say in these days was was probably only about one seventy five, one eighty or so pounds, but that's still a lot to lift it up over your head. You know, just grab it and lift it up. And uh, he he doesn't have any problem doing that. So, uh, but uh, Rock is is cool, and he's uh, I like the you know they're talking about the old ones, the ones that made him, and and these this ancient race that was around that built the androids the, at first. So, uh, cool stuff. Yes, let's start with Andrea. I'm like Doctor Brown, an android. Didn't you know? Remarkable, isn't she? Notice the, the lifelike pigmentation, the variation in skin tones. The flesh, the flesh has warmth. There's even a pulse, physical sensation. How convenient. realize it. An android is like a computer. It does only what I program. As a trained scientist yourself, you must realize that given a mechanical Dr. Brown, then a mechanical geisha would be no more difficult. You think I could love a machine? Did you? Andrea is incapable of that. She simply obeys orders. She has no meaning for me. There's no emotional bond. Andrea, Kiss, uh, Captain Kirk. Now strike him. You see? There's no emotion in her. No emotional involvement. She simply responds to orders. She's a totally logical computer. A thing. Yes, not a woman. Yeah, so that's the, 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 the famous kissing scene there uh, with the android and, uh, uh, you know, being told Andrea to kiss Captain Kirk and then actually then strike him, slap him, you know. Oh, boy, that's uh, pretty rough. But, uh, the uh, you know, it's, it's good. And I think, to me, it's not that much of a surprise that she's an android. She acts, you know, at the beginning, she's been told, I think, to act very, very neutral, very emotionless. But you will find out and see through this episode that she slowly becomes a little bit more emotional uh, fairly quickly. 
And when when humans come among them, uh, you know, when when Kirk comes down and starts doing his thing, and Nurse Chapel's there and all that, Christine, it starts to influence her a little bit, and she picks up on that. And and much like eventually Data, I think, uh, learns about emotions from all the crew of the Enterprise on TNG. Uh, of course, this is a little compressed. This all happens in just a fairly short span of time here on this TOS episode. Make a mental pattern. Ready for final synaptic fusion. Andrea, stand by for cortex circuits. The android will be so perfect, you can even replace the captain. The same memories, the same attitudes, the same abilities. Activate circuits. Mind your own business, Mr. Spock. I'm sick of your half-breed interference, do you hear? Mind your own business, Mr. Spock. I'm sick of your half-breed interference. So that clip, uh, critical point in the episode, they show the equipment and machinery to uh, Dr. Corby shows it to uh, Nurse Chapel. Oh, I should say, too, uh, Michael Strong is the actor playing uh, Roger Corby here. He's really good in this episode. I like what he does. He's just just right, I think, for sort of the slightly mad scientist type and, uh, you know, thinking that he has the best way of doing things and the answers and ultimately of course he really doesn't but anyway you get back to the scene where they're making a duplicate of kirk with this machinery they got this big blob of of sort of looks a little like a person on one side and kirk there shirtless kirk uh you know pretty much naked kirk except for this little covering of the machinery (laughs) Uh, you know, another time, of course, uh, Captain Kirk uh, gets to go shirtless. I think I, I really think that's why Brian. I think Brian emulates Shatner and Kirk a lot, and so that's why when Brian's always posting pictures of things on the forum, he's always without a shirt. That, that's really it, isn't it, Brian? You're probably getting a kick out of this right now when you're listening. But anyway, uh, they make a duplicate of Kirk here, and Kirk, in his you know quick thinking fashion, he, you know he, he they they say they're going to create also not just a, uh, some an android that looks like him, but that has all of his thoughts and memories and uh, attitudes, and so Kirk quickly sort of tries to flood his mind with this idea of of sort of bad mouthing Spock and you know calls him a half breed and all that, trying to send sort of a message. Uh, to Spock and of course that eventually works and helps and uh, Kirk uh, of course uh, uh, thinking pretty quick on his well on his I was going to say on his feet but he's really on his back in this scene when they're when they're making a duplicate of him you know it's in Trek it's not so important you know they don't go into a lot of the details and, and one of the things that I love and like so much about TOS is unlike and I you know you guys all know I love all the Trek series TNG and and so forth but in those series, they would have maybe try to explain this equipment a little bit better, but they really don't have to. You know, it's not really part of the episode. Some super sophisticated, intelligent race of beings called the Old Ones had all this stuff. 
they you know they can do this and within minutes you know you've got a duplicate of, of someone there laying on there on the table and of course Corby eventually says that not only can you make a duplicate but you can actually transfer all of your being in a way your your memories your feelings your attitude your soul to the android and, and almost live forever that way so a uh, very interesting idea well there's one difference between us i'm hungry the difference is your weakness captain not mine one at a time gentlemen Captain? Eating is a pleasure, sir. Unfortunately, one you will never know. Perhaps. But I will never starve, sir. He's an exact duplicate? In every detail. What about memory? Tell me about Sam. George Samuel Kirk, your brother. Only you call him Sam. He saw me off on this mission. Yes, with his wife and three sons. He said he was being transferred to Earth Colony 2 research station. No, Captain. He said he was continuing his research and that he wanted to be transferred to Earth Colony 2. You might as well try to, I think, a calculating machine. Obviously, I can't. But we do have some interesting differences. Totally unimportant ones. You may leave now. Yeah, I like that last scene quite a bit there where you get to have the two Kirks uh, sort of debating each other a little bit and, and the real Kirk debates the, the, the fake one, the, the android one, about uh, things from his past and questions about his brother. And there you'll, you'll learn that, uh, that Kirk's brother, George Samuel Kirk, was, was actually named after their father, George. Uh, so it's a really cool... Uh, cool stuff and they do some pretty cool and and good very early split screen work in that scene where you have you know Shatner of course having to play both parts in the same scene and that that's always fun and they unlike in the enemy within uh, which which was uh, an early TOS episode also where you have Kirk kind of fighting Kirk is good in in you know the good side and the bad side uh, here you get to for the I think all the scenes the, the two Kirks are in different outfits. They put the android in Kirk's normal gold uniform, and the real Kirk is in that uh, sort of green and, and brown uh, jumpsuit thing that the androids wear. So uh, you get to distinguish between the two of them pretty easily that way. And there's not a lot of scenes of them together, really. I think that might be uh, one of the few right there. So, uh, But I like it, and they do a nice job with it. Can you understand what I'm offering mankind? Programming. Different word. But the same old promises made by Genghis Khan, Julius Caesar, Hitler, Ferris, Maltuvas. Can you understand that a human converted to an android can be programmed for the better? Can you imagine how life could be improved if we could do away with jealousy, greed, hate? It can also be improved by eliminating love, tenderness, sentiment. The other side of the coin, Doctor. No one need ever die again. No disease. No deformities, or even fear can be programmed away, replaced with joy. I'm offering you a practical heaven, a new paradise, and all I need is your help. All you wanted before was my understanding. I need transportation to a planet colony, the proper raw materials. Now, I'm sure there are several good possibilities among your next stops. No diversion from your route. I want no suspicions aroused begin producing androids carefully, selectively. Yes, yes. 
No one need know. No need to frighten uninformed minds. They must be strongly infiltrated into society before the android existence is revealed. I want no wave of hysteria to destroy what is good and right. You're with me, Captain. You've created your own, Kirk. Why do you need me? I created him to impress you, not to replace you. So that clip, that kind of explains Corby's thinking and thought process here. He, he not only wants to, you know, create androids, uh, but he also wants to sort of improve and perfect humans. And this is an idea, a, a Star Trek staple idea, that's been used over and over again. You know, the master race type of thing, the eugenics wars, and, and Khan, a superior type of, of human. And here it's an android where, where Corby thinks he can program in or out certain things and personality traits into a person and make them what he thinks they should be. And, of course, Kirk, you know, debates him and, and you know, says that, well, yeah, you could do that, but that that's just, you know, another form of programming. Like, like people and, and crazy, you know, people throughout history have tried to conquer, you know, the world and that and, and tried to impose their own ideas on what's right and what's wrong and, and all of that on, on various, uh, you know, people that, you know, they don't really have any right to do that. People, people should have free will. People should have the right to do, you know, I hate to say it, but should have the right to, to, to do bad things and make poor decisions if that's, if that's what they decide to do. Uh, it would be great to, to be able to get rid of that, but I think that that is a path that you don't want to go down, and Kirk makes that argument to Corby. Of course, Corby doesn't really see that, and we learn eventually why that's the case and why he has trouble with that concept. Yes, it is still in my memory banks. It became necessary to destroy them. You are inconsistent. You cannot be programmed. You are inferior. And Corby? You came from the outside. You bring disorder here. The danger to you is Corby. I was programmed by Corby. I cannot harm him. The old ones programmed you too. But it became possible to destroy them. That was the equation. Existence, survival, must cancel out programming. That's it, Rock. Logic. You can't protect someone who's trying to destroy you. Rock, I would like. You brought him among us. You brought the inferior ones. We had cleansed ourselves of them. Oh, you bring the evil back. Rock, stop. You're programming. Yeah, that's one of the best scenes there with Rock and Kirk and Kirk doing his usual, you know, trying to get through to to the bad guy here in Rock in this case and, and uh, get him to go onto his side of things and, and turn him on Corby, which it, it does work, and, and it works pretty well. And, you know, he basically says, Corby, you know, you can't you can't go along with him. He, he He's messing with you. And so 
Rock after that tries to go after Corby, and Corby has to, you know, vaporize him with a phaser. And, you know, one thing that strikes me as a little bit funny in this to a degree is these they make these androids, and they're all supposed to be so superior, but a, a simple phaser, and especially the one where, where Kirk shoots Brown early in the uh, episode, and it basically takes him out, and it's just, uh, I'm sure Kirk had it on stun at that point. Of course, Corby, for some reason, decides to just blast and vaporize rock and you know maybe he figures he can make another one improve them or, or whatever but uh, but they're not all that really all that durable when it comes down to it it's still me christine roger i'm in here you can't imagine how it was i was frozen dying my legs were gone. Was, I had only my brain between life and death. This can be repaired easier than another man can set a broken finger. Still the same as I was before, Christine. Perhaps even better. Are you Roger? Andrea. Yes, Doctor. Someone in the outer junction. Spock. He must have got my message. I will find Ruck. He'll never find us in this maze. Ruck has been shut off. Get a weapon. Deal with it. Protect. Now we're getting pretty much near the end of the episode. The big reveal, uh, if you don't know or, or hadn't guessed or haven't seen the episode, is that Roger Corby here throughout the whole episode is actually an android too. He was was in a bad way. He was dying when he first was there on the planet, and he had to sort of transfer his consciousness and his brain and his everything into an android body and that also unfortunately seemed to have sort of changed and altered what he was all about uh and it, it seems these androids haven't been given kind of complete free will there's sort of some programming already in there and they're not like really as sophisticated and as uh unique as data uh, turns out to be later in tng these androids Little, little less uh, so than that, and and a little bit more susceptible to certain things. Uh, but you know, Roger here eventually uh, vaporizes himself. Andrea comes in, and uh, he can't. Uh, it, it's difficult to say why he does that. You know, if he feels like he can't live the way he is, uh, he 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 finally realizes maybe the things that he is doing are wrong. And, and he wants to sort of end it. I, it, it's tricky, you know. They don't really resolve that in, it, as well as I thought maybe they could have. Uh, it, it just sort of happens. It's a little bit of a surprise to me, and I, I think they could have done a little bit better with that, the way they ended that there. 
I, I think uh, that might be one of the weaknesses of this episode to a degree for me at least. Uh, and then we've got one last clip here, and I'll come back and wrap up uh, the uh, the look at this episode. Andrea, give me the weapon. No, protect. I was rather dismayed by your use of the term half-breed, Captain. You must admit, it is an unsophisticated expression. I'll remember that, Mr. Spark. The next time I find myself in a similar situation. Steady as we go, Helm. So there you have the ending uh, clip from What Are Little Girls Made Of from TOS. A cool episode, a fun episode. Maybe not uh, TOS uh, Trek at the best, but I really think uh, Majel uh, does a great job here, has some cool stuff. Uh, this episode, or the original first concept idea, came from an Outer Limits episode where there was a dying man in, in one of the old 60s uh, Outer Limits episode that Bob Justman, who was one of the uh, executive producers on TOS Trek, uh, worked on that Outer Limits episode, there was a dying man who needed to be transferred into sort of an android body. So that was sort of the overall concept and, and where it came from. Uh, and Robert Block fleshed it out into a full TOS episode here. So we've got some audio clips to play uh, from listeners. This uh, First up, Brian, uh, the other big TOS fan, I think, uh, uh, besides myself on the forums. Uh, this is his comments, or this are is is this is his comment let's say it that way i'm not an android see i goof up <laughs> my androids goof up too but anyway here's brian and his thoughts on this episode hey rico it's brian 
Well, like I mentioned on the forum, it's so funny that you're reviewing the uh, TOS episode, What Are Little Girls Made Of? As I just happened to have watched it last week, uh, I have the DVD Blu-ray editions for TOS, and I've been making my way through them slowly when I have a chance, and uh, that was the next episode in the queue. And I think, you know, in retrospect, this wasn't maybe one of my favorite episodes, but it's an episode that I think any newer Star Trek fan or is a big fan of Star Trek The Next, next Generation really owes themselves to watch. Undoubtedly, they're big fans, and rightfully so, of the character of Loxana Troy. And what are little girls made of really gives, them, gives people a chance to see Major Barrett's acting chops as Nurse Chapel in her really only standalone episode from the original series, although she does get some good moments in episodes like The Naked Time um, and a few others. But this really is a Christine Chapel-centric episode. And you can certainly see why Gene Roddenberry fell in love with her, because she's beautiful, her acting is terrific, and uh, we get to learn a whole lot about her character in this episode and a lot of her backstory. And it was funny, I was thinking that in the first couple episodes of TOS, the sickbay of Enterprise got a very good vetting of the characters. Um, in, uh, McCoy had his moment in the, um, what was the second episode of the series... The Man Trap, where we meet Nancy Carter, his previous flame. And here in this episode, we meet uh, Dr. Corby, uh, Nurse Chapel's uh, fiancé, uh, or ex-fiancé. So it's a real great chance to not only learn a lot about the character, but also an opportunity to really see Majel Barrett really give a real great, fine performance, especially when the conflict comes about and it's, she has to be, make a decision about the man whom she used to love but maybe doesn't know anymore and her allegiance to Captain Kirk and the crew of the Enterprise. The other T, uh, TOS to TNG connection here, I think, is this is the first time in Star Trek that we see an android that's almost a human. And I think that it's a story that gets repeated a few times in TOS with androids that have very human-like qualities or uh, emulate humans or are trying to be human. And sure enough, that sort of concept was realized to perfection in TNG with the character of Data. So I think you can look back at an episode like What Are Little Girls Made Of and see the very roots of how that began in the Star Trek universe, the idea of the, these androids which have a striving for perfection and yet they are imperfect in a lot of ways. In this case, it's so unique because you have a, a machine that can actually implant the feelings, thoughts, memories of a human into a machine body uh, to live out their lives, but does it really work? And at the end, we find out that, no, you, the machine cannot replace the human. And even though uh, Kirk you know, obviously tricks Andrea into thinking that she loves him or trying to understand what love means, and it's interesting to see her changing and her development as she tries to grapple with the, these newfound quote-unquote emotions. Whereas Dr. Kirby, having been a human, and now his memories and his feelings in a machine body, comes at it from a very different perspective. But at the end, he feels enough love for Christine and understanding of what he, that he has died, that he doesn't live anymore, despite the fact that he's, he, he's moving around this machine, that he sacrifices himself. One other interesting thing I noticed when watching this episode is, boy, this must have been a pretty expensive episode. I, I know the sets look cheesy by today's standards, but some of those cave, the stairs and the bottomless pit, and 
there was a lot, a lot of stuff in this episode that was kind of just a one-off that they used. And uh, it's nice to see the early season of Star Trek where they actually had some sort of a meaningful budget, uh, which certainly went away towards the end of second season and the beginning of the third. Also, this gives us the opportunity to see Captain Kirk talk a machine to death. Yes, it's, it's his forte, and he does it frequently. Um, and this is his first time that he, uh, he pulls out the silver tongue and uh, gets a chance to actually convince a machine that it's a failure and needs to be destroyed. Also, we get a chance to see Kirk act against himself. Anytime Shatner versus Shatner on screen, gold, baby. It's going to be gold. This was certainly the precursor to his finest piece of Shatner on Shatner work, the epic acting uh, tour de force, which is the turnabout intruder. And finally, let's not forget the character of Rock. Every time I look at him on screen, I just think he's going to say, you rang. It's, I, I love, I loved, he, he is the most imposing guy. I mean, I, I wish I, I, I wanted to go back and go on IMDb or something. I go look up everything that guy was in because he, he really was an amazing guy with an amazing voice. And it, it's fun to see him in this episode. It's great to see him tossing Kirk around. Boy, he, he tosses Shatner around like a rag doll when they have that fight scene. It's really funny. He's, the man's massive. So anyway, that's, uh, this is some of my thoughts on this episode. I'm looking forward to seeing what you're able to dig up uh, in your review, Rico. And as always, keep on trucking, my man. Talk to you later. Bye. Well, thank you, Brian. Always great to hear from you. And uh, I, I, I love it when you uh, comment about TOS, of course. We both love the, the series. Love the Kirk. Love the chat. And, and, you know, he is great in this. You know, the scenes where he's, you know, Kirk on Kirk like you said and and talking a machine a machine into you know basically destroying itself in a way with it, it's good stuff but i have to d- just sort of disagree a little bit i don't think the enemy within is the best kirk on kirk uh, situation i think that would go to uh star trek 6 the undiscovered country where you know where there's that shapeshifter that, that can turn into kirk and there there's some shat on shat Boy, that doesn't sound right if you if I say that too quick. <laughs> anyway, that that to me is pre- is pretty good too. But but they're all it's always all good stuff. And uh, yeah, Ted Cassidy, great great big guy, and he does he does toss the shad around uh, quite a bit. Oh, I got to stop doing that for this. Uh, we've got another comment here. This is from Rick Moyer, and it's going to segue into his song for this week, uh, which is great as always. Rick, you're just amazing, talented, uh, incredible. I don't know how you do it. All you know, it's it's like these things for the. I would never be able to come up with it. But here we go with Rick uh, and, and his new song and his comments about uh, what are little girls made of. Hi, Rico. This is Rick Moyer from Aberdeen, Washington. Moyer seven 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 on the forums and the host of Take Him With You, the weekly podcast that you helped inspire. Yep, it's true. You're like the granddaddy of podcasters, and we all have podcasts now that listen to you because, well, you're cool. That's why. Hey, I just wanted to say thanks for reviewing the TOS episode uh, about the what little girls are made of. Um, I think it's a really cool, a great episode, and here are some of the reasons. Number one, it has androids. Anything that has androids is cool, right? <laughs> I think so. The other thing, it was fun to see Nurse Chapel get a little of uh, screen time, you know, and do her thing. Uh, really fun to see Lurch in a different character, you know, that was fun. And I liked it when, uh, I always do this, whenever I see this episode, I always say to my kids, I sit back and I go, Captain Kirk! 
because he did the imitation of Nurse Chapel in the caves. I just like that. Anyway, really, really great episode. Love the concept. It was really neat to see a duplicate Picard as an android. Did I say Picard? I meant Kirk as an android. It was fun just to see the whole thing. I, I really enjoyed the episode. It's a, it's right up there with five stars to me. It's one of the best of the TOS episodes. So I wrote a song. This is not a parody. This is actually a song I wrote from scratch. Did all the instruments and uh, sang the background vocals and got to rock out on my guitar with this one. So I hope everybody enjoys this. This is called uh, Gotta Make an Android Body. I hope you enjoy it. And uh, Rico, thanks for everything you do. Trex and Sci-Fi rocks. Enjoy the song. I understand you gave up a career in bio-research to sign aboard a starship. I know he's alive down there, Captain. It's been five years since his last message. Roger's a very determined man. He'd find a way to live. Enterprise. Come in, Enterprise. This is Roger Corby. To Exo 3 they went, where Dr. Corby sent the planet blue and filled with ice. At first the guard he died, Richard identified. Watch your step by the bottomless pit, yeah. Yeah. 
Again, totally awesome. It really rocks, Rick. I, I wanted to dance around, do the Rico dance during that one a lot. I kind of did a little, I have to admit. So, But at least the cameras weren't on this time, so you guys don't have to be subjected to that. <laughs> Thanks so much for doing that. Re- really, really impressive. I, I just, man, they, they they need to play those in disco. Do, do they have discos anymore? No, I don't have discos. What am I talking about? i got to just shut up right now. I think I've had enough almost. Uh, and I am going to wrap up today's podcast. Thanks everyone that had contributed today you guys really came through as as you usually do uh, i always appreciate that uh thanks to to everyone rick pete mina brian and rick moyer you guys rock rock totally uh please if you'd like to send in anything about uh comments about what we're going to be discussing for the week the schedules on the main page usually uh, weeks in advance uh, and uh, I'd love to hear that. Uh, and if you've seen a movie, a book review, comic books, whatever your you know geeky thing you're into right now, send it in and talk to us about it at treksf at gmail.com. I think I got everything in. I'm going to take one quick pause. You won't even notice. Yeah, it looks pretty good right now that I did everything that I needed to. I have this little directory called Listener Submissions for the Week. Well, it's just an ongoing directory. I put them in there. And just look at the dates as I get things in. Looks like everything. There's one last clip, actually, I'm going to end the show with and play. And that will be in a moment here. Uh, next week. Uh, next week's going to be a little different. My my target, my plan, my goal will be to... I'm going to be at the uh, Wizard World Chicago Comic Con uh, on Saturday, next weekend. And then on, I am planning and hoping... Oh, I got a press pass, too, by the way, for that, which is cool. I am hoping to take pictures, video, and things at the convention. Hopefully that will work out, and I will report that. That will be next week's uh, podcast on Sunday. So it's probably going to be a video cast. It may take me a while. There may be delays. It may end up coming up on, uh, it might be out released on Monday. Depends on really how all things go. If the video isn't really possible to do in, in a lot of the circumstances, it may end up just being an audio uh, report on the convention with some audio clips and, and, and that. 
really trying and shooting for a video cast. It's been a while since I did one, so we're going to try to do that. Uh, but it'll be a busy weekend, so we'll see how it goes. That will be uh, in next week on the show. And in two weeks, I guess it'll be two weeks, right? That's going to be the big live fifth anniversary Treks and Sci-Fi show. I will put announcements on the main website very soon for details on how to view that. I usually use Ustream, and basically it's just a fun little party. Uh, talk about a lot of things about the last year and, and, and that. You can watch it live as I record it, and and, and that that's about what it'll be. It'll be uh, uh, it will be on Sunday, two weeks from now, which will be the 29th. I'm not sure if you heard that uh, horn go off there. I have the windows open here uh, for a bit, and uh, getting a little warm up here. Probably have to close them up and turn the air again soon. But we're ending the show this week. Uh, Rick Pete sent in also a, a clip that he recorded of Chase Masterson singing at uh, the convention in Vegas last weekend. I think she's singing one of those James Darren songs uh, that he did on Deep Space Nine. So that will end this week's uh, podcast for all of you. If uh, you'd like, there's PayPal donation links on the main website. Uh, those are always welcome. iTunes reviews, iTunes reviews, iTunes reviews. Yeah, whatever. iTunes reviews, iTunes. Yeah, <laughs> are always welcome. Oh, I know it's getting near the end of the show. So here's Chase singing, and I will be back next week with that con report from Wizard World in Chicago. Bye, everyone. Someday, when I'm awfully low and the world is cold, I will feel a glow just thinking of you and the way you tonight. You are With your smile so warm and your cheeks so soft, there is nothing for me but to love you and the way you look tonight. With each word, a tender.
Just the way.